Ezra this morning. Chapter 7, verse 11 through chapter 8, verse 14. This is a very long passage. 31 verses long. But it has three main parts or points to it. The first one is the letter from the Persian king Artaxerxes. You can see that in chapter 7, verses 11 through 26. In that letter, he addresses the Jewish remnant as a whole. He addresses his own Persian government treasurers. And he addresses Ezra specifically. The second main point would be Ezra's response to his letter. And that's in verses 27 through 28. And chapter 8, verses 1 through 14 is a list of people who went with Ezra from Babylon to Jerusalem. Now you're probably thinking, what or how in the world does this apply to us today? In order to figure that out, we have to look at what caused all these things to happen. Now, first and foremost, we know that God is in control, that ultimately he causes all things to happen. But God also uses a means to get things done. To accomplish his will. So what did he do? What did he use to cause this to happen that we see in the text this morning? Well, he used a wicked king, Artaxerxes, to write this wonderful letter. Ezra to come out of his years of inaction and spring into action. And the people to break out of their complacency, their comfortable complacency. And what was it? What did God use to make all that happen? It was the presence of the temple. Now, historical context here, the temple had been there for 59 years. It stood as a powerful witness of what God can do through the willing hands of his people who didn't have enough money or resources, really didn't have enough people. But they accomplished what God told them to do, and it stood as a powerful witness to who he is. And they received a tremendous blessing from it, but it was not primarily for them. It was for people outside of Jerusalem to see that powerful witness. Now, God designed the temple back in that age to stand as a powerful witness to who he is. What does God use today? His word. His word sent out from his church Proclaimed by his people. And when that happens, it has powerful effects. When the people in Ezra, they saw that temple standing in Jerusalem, they knew there was a God in Israel and Yahweh was his name. And when people see us take the gospel everywhere we go, they will know there is a God that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for them. He rose on the third day as their savior and the hope that comes with it. And when we do that, there will be effects that happen. And today we're going to look at three effects that have from coming, uh, that come from having a powerful witness. Let's look at the text starting in verse 11 of chapter 7. Now this is a copy of the decree which King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, learned in the words of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes to Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, 
perfect peace. And now I have issued a decree that any of the people of Israel and their priests and the Levites in my kingdom who are willing to go to Jerusalem may go with you. For as much as you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem, according to the law of your God, which is in your hand, and to bring the silver and gold, which the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem, with all the silver and gold, which you find in the whole province of Babylon, along with the free will offering of the people and of the priests, who offered ruling for the house of their God, which is in Jerusalem. With this money, therefore, you shall diligently buy bulls, rams, and lambs, with the grain offerings and their drink offerings, and offer them on the altar of the house of your God, which is in Jerusalem. Whatever seems good to you and to your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold, you may do according to the will of your God. Also the utensils which are given to you for the service of the house of your God, deliver in full before God of Jerusalem. The rest of your needs for the house of your God, which you may have occasion to provide, provide it from the royal treasury. I, even I, King Artaxerxes, issued a decree to all the treasurers who are in the provinces beyond the river, that whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven may require of you, it shall be done diligently. Even up to a hundred talents of silver, a hundred cores of wheat, a hundred baths of wine, a hundred baths of oil and salt as needed. Whatever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it be done with zeal for the house of the God of heaven, so that there will not be wrath against the kingdom of the king and his sons. We also inform you that it is not allowed to impose tax, tribute, or toll on any of the priests, Levites, singers, doorkeepers, Nathan, or servants of this house of God. You, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God, which is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges that they may judge all the people who are in the province beyond the river, even all those who know the laws of your God, and you may teach anyone who is ignorant of them. Whoever will not observe the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be executed upon him strictly, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of goods or for imprisonment. Now listen to Ezra's response. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who has put such a thing as this in the king's heart, to adorn the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem. And it's extended loving kindness to me before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty princes. Thus, I was strengthened according to the hand of the Lord, my God, upon me. And I gathered leading men from Israel to go with me. The first thing we see is a powerful witness upon the created. Now, by no stretch of the imagination was Artaxerxes a believer. He was a Persian. Now, history tell us that he was a believer in a religion called Zoroastrianism. And he wasn't a casual believer in that. He made it, under his rule, the official religion of the media Persian Empire. In many ways, it's very similar to Eastern religions today. Had things in common with Buddhism, Hinduism, New Age religions, even Wicca and Paganism. The bottom line is that Artaxerxes would fit very well in our culture today. 
He would agree with many people today that say there's many paths to heaven. He would have understood heaven as finally getting rid of all our material stuff and realizing that we are God. He would have loved the idea of Mother Earth. He would fit right in. Because that's who he is. Or who he was. And that's who what he believed in. The idea of an all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing, holy, personal God who speaks and interacts and judges his people was completely foreign to King Artaxerxes. As a matter of fact, it would be offensive to him. Almost as offensive as it is to our inclusive, tolerant society today. Now, with all that in mind, look back at that letter, what he wrote. No less than 15 times does he write the name of God. It's just not he just writes the name of God. Pagans do that, but when they write about God... They refer to some unknowable universal force. But for some reason, look in the letter. That's how he refers to God. He uses personal terms to refer to God. He talks about a God who personally gives the law, who personally interacts with Israel, who commands and speaks and wills. Notice in verse 25 and 26 how he refers to God. He refers to God as Ezra's God. What a witness for Ezra. This is the same kind of witness we see Paul have on the men of Athens in Acts chapter 17. When he stood up in Aeroparagus and he pointed to an altar, an altar erected and said to the unknown God. That's the same unknowable God that King Artaxerxes worshipped, the same unknowable God that people today worship. Oh, Paul pointed to it. Now, I'm paraphrasing, not word for word. But he told him, you worship a God you cannot know. Let me tell you about a God who is personal, personal enough to command you to repent and personal enough to send his son to die for you. That, my dear friends, is standing as a powerful witness in a religious but godless world. The presence of the temple was a mighty witness to that pagan king. As we are standing as a powerful witness before an increasingly pagan world, notice that Artaxerxes was not, com- was not converted, but neither were all the men of Athens. They, did, they didn't get converted, but they acknowledged God, and sometimes that's all a powerful witness will do. But it will glorify God. Are we standing as a powerful witness for God? Not everyone come to faith in Christ, but at least they will acknowledge God and will glorify God through that acknowledgement. This is one more example, dearly beloved. We're not responsible for the results. We are responsible for standing as that powerful witness. To show the created world that indeed there is a God. Now, the second effect of a powerful witness is on the called. You see that in verses 27 through 28. There's no doubt Ezra was specifically called of God. We saw two weeks ago how he providentially guided him and guarded him and gave him a mission. Now, we see Ezra is obedient, but however, like many of us, he didn't jump right in. Now, think about this. The temple has been built for 59 years Now, we learned two weeks ago that Ezra came from the high priestly line of Aaron. Why didn't he get up and go as soon as he heard about the temple? Now, they didn't have the Internet or email or cell phones, 
But I'm sure that Ezra had heard about this sometime before the 59 years. And being in the line of the high priest, why did he get up and go? What kept him from going? The presence of the temple reminded him of his call. He couldn't ignore it. It was impossible for him to do that. And as news would come back from Babylon, from Jerusalem, I'm sure it weighed on his mind and on his conscience. And then came the final straw, this beautiful letter written from the king. And it's remarkable what God will use to grab our attention. God used that letter and the witness of the temple to serve as a constant reminder who God is and what he wanted Ezra to do. And, of course, Ezra responds by praising God in verse 27 and the first part of verse 28. As he responded to God and praised him, what was the result of that? God gave him strength. Notice that God didn't give him strength first until after Ezra praised him. That's the way God works. He wants you to respond to him. God waits for you to tell him that you are willing to do the impossible task that he's calling you to. Right now, some of you in this room and listening to me on the Internet, God is calling you to do something. Perhaps it's to give your life to his son, Jesus Christ, as your personal Lord and Savior. Maybe it's to be uh, more involved in the church or witness to somebody. Whatever it is, he's calling you to something. It's till we get to the point where we say, God, I'm not capable of doing this. I need you to help me. Once we reach that point and we are broken and we say, God, whatever it is, I'll do it. That's when God steps in and gives you exactly what you need. This happened to me personally. Back in 98, I went to a Promise Keepers event back when Texas Stadium was over in Irving. That's a little while ago. I was a new Christian. I had attended church when I was younger, up to about 12 or 13. I heard the gospel, but never responded to it. I never really paid attention a lot. I gave my life to Christ, and then this great brother of Christ, Mike Slayton, asked me to go to Promise Keepers with him. I didn't know what to expect. I walked in that stadium, and I saw all forms of worship. People raising their hands, some guys kneeling, some guys crying, some guys smiling. And I felt this huge weight upon me, just pressing down. And I remember talking to God, saying, God, I've I, I professed you. I, I followed abuse with baptism. Here I am. I want to learn more. What else do you want? And that conversation just kept happening Friday night, all day Saturday. And it just weighed on me. Uh, Mike told me later, he said, man, you were really quiet. I knew God was dealing with something. He dropped me home. He dropped me at my house. Uh, Saturday night and Tammy was at work. It wasn't until I finally dropped on my knees, wept like a baby, confessing things I had thought I had forgotten about. Until I said, God, whatever it is you want me to do, you got it. Here I am. But I must admit, I threw in a little qualifier. Please help me to tell Tammy about this. Because when I told her, she goes, well, what's that mean? I said, I have no idea. I was nowhere ready to speak in front of people. Uh, the things that, but 
My point being, at that point, God started bringing people and circumstances into my life to give me what I need to answer the call which he placed on my life. And many of you are sitting there thinking, I can't do this, I can't do that. God is waiting waiting for you to say, God, you know what, I can't do it on my own. I need you. Give me what I need, dear God. Whatever it is you're calling me to do, I will do it. And then God will give you the strength and he'll put people in your life that you, that you need to hear from and doors will start to open. Real quickly, I'll mention this. I remember the first semester I went to Southwestern Seminary Convocation, beginning of the academic year. Back then I had no idea what all that meant. And here come all these professors with all their scarly robes on and the ropes and all that. And I remember praying to myself, God, I'm glad you know what you're doing because I don't have a clue what I'm doing here. I felt so out of place, so inadequate, but God got me through. Not only did he praise God, but in verse 28, the last part, he didn't sit around. He got into action, didn't he? He didn't wait for the right time or the training or the finances He gathered together what he had at the time. He gathered people together. What an effect a powerful witness has on the call. God God did the calling. He used the witness of the temple to convict. And when he was convicted, he responded. I'm not going to attempt to read verses 1 through 14. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I want to point out that that is a list It's there for a reason to tell us who went with Ezra to Jerusalem. They list the head of the families. Now, remember, this is the second group of exiles that go back. The first group was 120 years earlier with this Rubabel and Joshua, Joshua, excuse me. And they're the ones who finally got the temple built. This is a second wave. So you kind of ask yourself, well, why did they come early with the first group? Because they were comfortable. They don't like it in Babylon, but they have gotten comfortable and complacent where they were. That's why they waited 120 years to make their move. You go back in Ezra and read, remember, the king, Cyrus, commanded them to go back. But some of them didn't want to go because it would be hard work. We don't know what's going to happen here. I may not like it, but I know what's going to happen. And I'm comfortable with that. That's how we complain about everything, don't we? But we rather complain about something and stay in that same mode because we were familiar with it. Although we complain about it, the hardest thing for us to do is to step out of that and say, no, I'm going to do something new. Which begs the question, why do we keep doing things the same way over and over again, expecting different results? You know the term, that's insanity. It's not until we let go of our preconceived notions, ideas, all our worries and anxieties, say, God, I I just, here I, we're broken. God has to break us, get us to that point. You remember a story of a guy named Lot? Genesis chapter 19. In that story, you, you find Lot sitting at the gates of the city. Now, that's important because people who sat there were considered leaders of that town or that city. He had some influence. But Sam Gomorrah 
was really bad immorally. And he recognizes these two individuals as angels, and he tells, don't sleep here, come up to my house, you know the story. I walk away from that going, well, where was Lot's witness? These people come to his door, they wanted to have sexual intercourse with these two, and he said, no, and this is what blows my mind, because all I have is daughters. He goes, hey, don't mess with him, here, take my daughters. Do what? And my point being, where was his witness? And even when he's, he finally leaves, he goes to his sons, tells them what's going to happen. And the text tells us that it appeared to his son-in-laws that he was jesting. He was joking. Ah, yeah, yeah, whatever. He finally goes. When he was go to the place he was told, he goes to Zor, which is another city like home. He didn't want to go where he was told. The point being... That we will go to the ends of the earth to preserve our personal comfort. But God doesn't call us to be comfortable. Luke chapter 9 verse 58. And Jesus said to them, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then John chapter 17 verse 14. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, even as I am not of this world. God has never called us to be comfortable. He's called us to be out there as his witnesses to him. But these people who stayed back in Babylon, that's where they were. They were comfortable. They sacrificed God's will for their personal comfort. They chose comfort in bondage rather than the freedom of joy of obedience. But that temple stood there. And it reminded them about who God was. He is. And their background as people, as those stories were told, father to son, down the generations, they knew. Just like the Passover. They they heard the story of the Passover and how God had brought them out of Egypt. All those stories. And that powerful witness of the temple kept calling to them. That uh, kind of closes the circle up. Do you know what the Bible calls us as believers in Jesus Christ? The temple of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God, and that you're not your own? For you have been brought with a price. Therefore glorify, it, glorify God in your body. And we get so hung up on that verse to say we shouldn't do harmful things to our body. Well, this is true, but there is a bigger, deeper understanding of this. Understanding what the ultimate mission of the temple was. And the mission of the temple is to glorify God by standing as its powerful witness. Even though it was small in comparison to the original temple, even though it was built with limited resources, it stood stood there as its powerful witness by the power of God himself. It was a powerful witness to created the called and the comfortable. So what about you? Do you believe you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? That's, that's what happens at time of conversion. You know that, don't you? When you confess and you repent, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. And I'm just going to say this. It's not about how I get more of the Holy Spirit, because I get all the Holy Spirit at the time of conversion. The question becomes, how much more does the Holy Spirit have control and influence on my life? 
in every decision I make. Are you glorifying God at his powerful witness? Are you standing as a witness to the created? There's a lot of people out there who have been created in the image of God. It saddens me deeply that our society has devalued human life to the point that doesn't mean anything. And yet the Bible tells us that we're created in his image. Life has meaning. It has purpose. You're created by God. And like this particular verse says, as believers in Christ, we've been bought with a price. We're no longer. What was the price? The precious blood of Jesus himself. We are to follow him. See, our problem is we want to separate Lord and Savior. You can't do that. He's my savior because he paid the price. And as as I follow him, as I call out to him, confess that his righteousness is now imputed on me. But he's also my Lord. And to be my Lord, I, I have I need to do what he tells me to do. Jesus even said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Are you being that witness out there to the created, to the people? Those who are lost. Now, I'm going to touch on something going to make some people cringe. We have to ask ourselves this most basic Christian question. Do we believe that people who die without Christ are going to hell? If we truly believe that, then how can we sit back with apathy while millions are going that way? We have the answer. Are we standing as a witness to them? Are we standing as a witness to the call? There are people throughout this local church body who have been called. Some are still doing it. Some have quit. Some don't even exactly know what that gift is. They know they've been called. We need to encourage people to use their gifts. Not one person in here doesn't have a gift. Everyone has a spiritual gift or gifts. God gives us those gifts in order to glorify him, to bring more people to him. And we must give them opportunities to exercise their calling. That's one reason I had that young man, BJ, come and preach, a DBU student, because I wanted to get him time to exercise his calling. Can I, can I <laughs> just bear with me for a second? Most churches want pastors with experience, but no one will give them experience behind the pulpit to get the experience to begin with. You have to give them experience. If they know the text, you know what convictions they have, the delivery will come in time. I still have the delivery down. Okay. <laughs> but it's the content of the delivery. I'm just a messenger. I didn't come up with this material. That's God. But I need to be faithful to it. You can look throughout the course of time and there's, there's people who couldn't hardly speak and God used them in powerful ways. Finally, are you, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Are you standing as a witness to the comfortable? Oh, the sad thing is many of us are too comfortable. We have our routine, our comfort zone. We never step out of it. When you step out of your comfort zone, that's a huge witness. And as you do, get excited about it and tell others about it. Let them know how hard it is to take that first step. You know the first step I always hear? 
I'll illustrate it this way. The first step for all of us is we're standing here. We've sung. We've heard the invitation. God is convicting us, but we ain't going to let go of this pew for all the money in the world. A tornado could come by and we'd still be hanging on to it. But that first step is always the hardest. But when you take that step and you answer to God's calling, man, there's freedom in letting go. It's like everything just goes off you. Do you remember your salvation experience? You remember that time when you gave your life to Christ? Maybe some of us have forgotten about that. We need to remember the joy of our salvation. Let them know what a blessing it is when you answer that call and encourage them to do the same. When you're sitting with young people or children and they're wrestling with it, offer to go with them. I'll go down with you. And you know, when we do answer that call, and I know people argue about, well, you can accept Christ in the pew. Well, you, certainly, you certainly can. You can accept Christ anywhere. Aren't you glad that we serve a God that's always there? You don't have to worry about if he's in bed or eating. No, he's, he's almighty. He don't need on that. He's the almighty God. But there is something about a public declaration. When that person takes that step, it serves as a witness to the rest of us are going, hmm. God's dealing with me, too. It serves as a witness of encouragement to others. Artaxerxes, Ezra, and the people understood one thing. Because of the temple, they saw that there was a God in Israel. Do people who come in contact with you on a daily basis, just by the way you act or behave or talk, do they know that there's a God Do they see that witness in you? We get so wrapped up in results sometimes. And pastors, we're the worst of it. First thing we ask each other on a Monday, how many people were at church and how many people were saved? The big question we need to ask ourselves, and this includes myself as I look and do self-examination, how much more like Christ do we look like today than we did yesterday? How much more does Christ... How much more does Forestburg Baptist Church reflect Christ than today than it did yesterday or a week ago or a month ago or even a year ago? I want to encourage you. Answer that call, whatever it is, today. You will not find a more sympathetic, understanding, caring little group of people than you have right here and right now. For all, most of us, I believe, are brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we see someone praying, what encouragement you can do too, if Lee's praying, just put your hand on his shoulder. And maybe he'll share, maybe he won't. That's not the point. Just let him know, hey, brother, I'm right here with you. Or, hey, sister, I'm, I'm here with you. I'm praying with you. What is God calling you to? If you don't think God is not working in our midst, take a shot back. I, I can't speak before November 2016 because I wasn't part of this church. But look what's happened since November. And I'm not saying look at me as a pastor. I'm saying look what God has done. Even before that, 
Some of you probably thought, after all that happened, you go, ah, but God still has you here. He trusted us with 55 kids to be faithful to tell them about Christ. He's trusting us, specifically Rashonda and Daniel as our youth intern and youth minister, take these teenagers to a camp. I'm praying that the truth of God will sink into their hearts and minds. What an awesome opportunity. An awesome responsibility. He has given us a technology to go out on the web to proclaim his name. And to share with others about the gospel. What a great opportunity, but also a great responsibility. A powerful witness will always affect the created, non-believers, the called, God's people, and those specifically called for certain tasks, and the comfortable. I will say this, and we're going to pray, and we'll have the hymn invitation. You know what our problem is as Americans, as Christians in America? You want to know what it is? And it's going to hurt. It hurt me. We have become too lazy and too apathetic. We've become comfortable. Bottom line. While our brothers and sisters around the world are literally dying. For the faith. Why is the United States in the shape she's in? Some of the responsibility falls on us. We've been silent for far too long. But here's the qualifier. You can't go out and just start yelling at them and hit them beside the head of the Bible. You have to love them. But even before you do that, before you can really love them as Christ, you have to be broken before God and say, God, I can't do this. I can't do this on my own. I need you to help me. God, oh, please, God. Help me make a difference in this community, in this county, in this state, in this nation. It begins with prayer. And I know a lot of you are prayer warriors. This is your time with God. Let us go together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that even when we walk away, we get comfortable or complacent or whatever the situation may be, God. You always call us back. Always calling. And Father, we pray that this, this building, this facility that you gave us, that our lives would be lived out in such a way that it's not the building of God, but they will know people who attend here that every time they pass this facility, they would know that because of our obedience to you, they will know that there is a God. And they would know that he sent his son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, I ask that you give all of us the courage to step out of our comfort zones, to respond to that call. A call to be a people who are Known by our faith and our love. Continue to move among us, dear God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please?